Hey, what's going on? This is Billy Newman, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. You can check more out at billynewmanphoto.com. I'm a photographer. I'm based in the Northwest, and uh, this is a little bit of the podcast that I'm recording, kind of covering some of the um, the projects and the media stuff that I end up working on through my weeks here as a photographer. But uh, yeah, Happy New Year to everybody. I think it's kind of cool that uh, we're dropping into 2018. It's weird sort of wrapping up 2017 and um, I think uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've done a podcast I I was up to the holidays which I bet everybody was kind of up to for the last little bit but uh, the holidays was kind of an interesting time because I ended up sort of thinking a lot about what well what photographs are you know uh, I'm, I'm getting a little bit older now and uh, I think there's, there's sort of like a change in the vision that I have of the way that I kind of think about photographs or, or you know, what, what is their purpose? Why are we making them? And in a big way, like um, uh, maybe propagated uh, by the, the Instagram culture or the, the sharing content creation culture that sort of seems to be out right now, especially for those, uh, the, you know, photographers or artists, I think they feel the pressure to be content producers now. And that maybe is a little bit of a different job than the photographer or the real artist, that kind of a, that kind of a person. And so I've been trying to sort of think about that a little bit and, uh, and sort of take a look at, at the trends of Instagram and are those my art? Is that what I need to pursue? And a lot of the time I, I sort of notice this and even in my own images, this like super sharp, super crisp, everything has to be really perfect or really edited or, or really meaningful and dramatic in these images. And what I'm noticing a little bit, uh, especially as I review my older images is that the, the photographs that I'm really drawn to, they're the photographs that represent the truth more. They're the photographs that kind of have, um, I don't know what it is really, but they have uh, a little bit more of an essence of r- reality. Or maybe it's uh, it's reality, but it's also a little bit of grit to it too. Like this really happened. It was, it was magical. It was interesting. I really like that surrealism in the photographs that I take. And I have for a long time, but, but there's a little bit more. And I've always, I think in a lot of stuff I've done, kind of pushed for the unreal. And uh, some of the stuff that I'm kind of noticing the last couple of years, as I looked at like the photographs and how they changed, is sort of how that shifted from the unreal of landscapes or of the world, you know, kind of trying to select things about landscapes, you know, when they have unusual colors to them or, or unusual dynamics or phenomena like like clouds or weather or, or water or something like that that makes it uh, sort of feel like a different look or a different image um, than like what we'd see midday at noon if we looked at the same thing. Um, so I think that's definitely still part of photography. But one thing I was noticing through the holidays and, and through reviewing a bunch of my old photographs was how much the the stock value of, of a photograph goes up over time. Over one year, it's a bit. Over a few years, it's a bit more. But over a decade, you really get you really get to see the change that happens in time. You know, I get to see uh, like relatives that were much younger in these photographs they took 15 years ago than they are now. And it seems like a, kind of a, an obvious point or, or seems like something everyone should know. But really, there's a huge amount of value in the photographs because they capture something at the time that it was. And you, you get to hold on to that after the after their people or the moment or the event or the experience changes i'm starting to notice as i'm getting older is that life does sort of change it changes 
And it's an obvious uh, kind of point of fact that everybody's sort of known about for a long time. But in my naive sense, I've been so focused on photography or on image creation or on the product, making something that's kind of crisp and sharp and uh, perfectly usable today. I, I don't know if I was thinking so clearly about how the nostalgia factor or how the the value of something you know from a family or, or just sort of a small moment that's captured that's that's more real uh, how that escalates in value over time and uh, like coming at these photos 15 years later or even like seven years later from some of the stuff that I had it's really interesting to see like wow like I took a ton of photos of this type of topic but I didn't I didn't take as many photographs that sort of represented my artistic experience of my life or that humanity. I really want to try and show more of that in the photographs, the the humanity, the kind of the, the way you feel about a photograph. And I think that's so much about what a photographer is there to do is sort of uh, be be able to kind of pick and select which moments to capture and, and, and which ways you're going to be able to share that stuff in the future that's going to become more nostalgic more meaningful uh or just just a way of kind of knowing oh this was part of my life wow that's really cool um so i've been trying to think about some of those ideas around photography for the new year a little bit but along with that i've been going through the last like 15 years of photos in uh in my big uh super catalog that that collection of um of lightroom photos i made that's that's kind of trying to pull in every phone photo every phone video every every different camera i've had since 2002 i'm trying to get all those photos together, put them in there. I think it was like 120,000 images, something like that, which really isn't that many photos for, for someone that's been doing stuff for a long time. Um, but I went through those and I, and I tried to like punch those down to a lot of the selects, so a lot of the images that I, I kind of want to keep from. And I was trying to pull out a lot of uh, good photos, but, but photos that were kind of irrelevant to me for, for this sort of future moving forward catalog of stuff. I want to get rid of like product photos or work photos that are hundreds and thousands of photos even to kind of fill up space and memory in the catalog i'll keep those definitely but those will be backed up on another hard drive but what's active to me what's in my library currently i want to be like the last i think i've talked about this before but like the last two years or so of photos and in, in whole in total so i can get back to that library and edit any one of those raw files i have but for stuff that's older than two years like 2015 and before i kind of want to pare those down a little bit so that i'm a little bit more specific uh and and able to, to just get to those photos that were selects uh, a little bit faster. And then especially for older stuff, like pre, pre 2010 or so, I want to, I want to really have those pared down to like the, the hundred photos I actually, you know, I need to have around to, to get to for, for whatever kind of stuff I need to do. But uh, it was really cool though going through the old photos and you just kind of do it in this pretty quick way of, you know, like this is a one star, this is a two star kind of a thing. So you kind of punch through those pretty fast. And then, uh, and then I have another round to do, or I'm going to, I'm going to try and punch it, you know, from one star to two star, those are going to be what I keep for a while. And then from that, I'm going to try and render that down, uh, to select all the, all the three star photos, all the, that's kind of like, uh, I would pick this photo and sort of put it under review. And then, and then my system at least is a little bit of the four star, five star zone. That's for, uh, this is going to be published or this is going into the portfolio or as content sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm going to try and uh, push on that stuff a bit more and get some photographs sorted for the year, but it was really cool going through all of those old trips that we've done, um, all those different places that we've gone to. And, uh, of course I've seen, well, one thing I've noticed is good Lord, how bad at Photoshop I was. 
and I want to I want to say that I'm going to put a little blame because I remember this happened at the time, but I want to put a little blame on how god awful my laptop monitor was. Um, like a 2006, 2007, 2008 laptop monitor just had no color gamut against what we know now in uh, in like modern OL or LED Retina display monitors like Apple puts out, uh, or like any kind of uh, modern LED more color accurate monitor that we have now. But I was looking at it and there's like the, the it's just so muddy. There's there's so few colors that it can really represent. So you have to push things a little further out of gamut, or at least I did at the time, kind of uh, not understanding what I was compensating to. So I look back at some of these photos and go, oh, I would never make it this yellow and green in a modern world. So it was kind of interesting what, you know, whatever was going on or whatever I was thinking about at the time visually that, that sort of drew me to that place. But it's interesting to see like how that changes, how your aesthetics sort of change, and, and also a little bit of how your tools and calibration systems change and, and sort of seeing like, wow, how off was that way back? Um, so all stuff that you kind of learn and, and you get better at. And it's interesting, at least to the benefit, you get better over time. And uh, like a decade later, I see changes in the, uh, the kind of creative or the the style that I would lay out just if I started working, you know, out without actually having to try and uh, implement a style, you know, try and lay when, oh, I'm going to make a photograph that's black and white and of events and personal or something, uh, instead of trying to go out with, the, with you know, a set intention of that, which you should or, or could in any set of photos. But if I just go out and am shooting what I am drawn to, the photographs that I capture and get, and the way that I kind of perceive what they look like and how I, sh- I want to show them to people, that's all kind of changed and evolved over time. And uh, it seems like my choices in that are better than they once were. Um, but it was interesting too, just kind of seeing like, man, how many years and years and years did it take me taking photographs before any of these photographs really got good or, or got to the point where they were more than snapshots or more than just kind of a data collection. And I sort of thought of myself as an archivist for a long time where, um, where like the job wasn't really to be a photographer, where it was editing to select like a moment and character and, and sort of like nuance between uh, things that had like emotional pull to them. I didn't really understand that type of composition stuff. I just sort of understood the camera mechanically functioning as a light capturing tool. And so that was like, that was probably like the first four years of photography was, you know, sort of thinking about it like that, like uh, I'm capturing data of a reality and then that's going to be processed in uh, to something else later. And it wasn't really for years until I understood like emotional vision or, you know, like uh, having uh, some way to kind of tie the way you feel to the way that you see something. And uh, that was really interesting, kind of learning about how, how some of those things work. And oh, it's still such a long road and I still have, you know, no no real understand or no real experience in that by uh, by anybody that's really trained just self-taught little old billy out here in nowhere willamette valley so uh yeah that's uh some of the stuff about uh making selects for a new lightroom catalog the other deal that i got going it's kind of a fun uh geeky one but uh like kind of over the christmas break and stuff i've been ebaying around a lot and i found um like way back when i went to college right i had i had a I ended up getting a laptop, which was fine, and it was cool. It was like a Windows PC. But I remember when I was in college back in like 07, 08, 09, 2010, 2011, it kind of changed over the course of those years. But uh, I remember when I first got there, I really wanted that 13-inch black MacBook 
Oh, yeah, I guess it was just a MacBook. Yeah, you remember that one? The, they had, like, the white model and the black model MacBook for a while, these, like, 13-inch ones. And uh, I always thought they were really sweet. Like, I, I think they kind of came out right as I was getting out of high school, and they were um, a pretty solid machine back in the day for, you know, a lot of, you know whatever it was for, for college stuff. But uh, but times times have changed. Times have gone on. And uh, I was on eBay, and I saw one for, like, 60 bucks. I remember them being $2,000, right? Like the black one was kind of the souped up one that you had to pay more for. And, you know, in Apple ways, it was always, it was always a lot more. And that was already hundreds of dollars more than probably what I was going to end up paying, um, you know, for, for any kind of laptop computer I'd get back in college. So I saw this thing pop up, uh, on, uh, on eBay and I was thinking, whoa, 60 bucks. I could swing 60 bucks to get you know, this laptop that I had wanted that, you know, in my memory, I kind of remember is two twenty two hundred dollars uh, So it seemed like a screaming deal, even though uh, really it's just time has elapsed. It's a decade later and this is obsolete antiquated computing equipment. But I bought this, uh, I bought this uh, MacBook body. It shipped out to me. It's a working laptop. It, it really is nice. I remember a lot of those black MacBooks, they had this, um, this design flower, this little clip at the top of the, the screen would fold over, you know, as you'd clamshell the, the laptop down to close it. And this little tab would sort of break the keyboard plastic that was below. Either this one was replaced or an older person had it and never really got into it like that. But uh, it's super clean. Like it doesn't have that little greasy, wet puddle look on the, on the, uh, the, the thumb, what is that, like the mouse pad piece? Uh, and like none of that like wear and stuff on it. So it's a super fresh computer, but it was cool. Um, and, but difficult, it's a little project thing, you know, like uh, when I got it, it was running, I think it was running Leopard, which is the, the Mac operating system that it probably would have first shipped with back in like 2007, maybe is when it was around. That was before they switched over from PowerPC to, or I think as they were switching over, that was the last version that it was like cross-compatible between like the PowerPC and the Intel Max. Is that right? And then they switched over to Snow Leopard. That was all Intel PC-based stuff. And so uh, this computer was capable of it. It was Intel-based. And, and uh, what I did is I, had a, I wiped it and then uh, set it up again with, uh, what is it, like Mac OS 10.7? which I think it went from like 10.4 to 10.7. That was the like OS 10 Lion. This is the thing I was learning about the, the Mac stuff is that they kind of they kind of obsolete themselves after so many versions, right? Like um, I think it can't run Mountain Lion. That's why I didn't end up installing it. And it can't run Mavericks, which is, you know, why I didn't end up installing it. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I, I didn't realize that at first, but uh, but yeah, I guess it's set up so that it's, it's supposed to go up to Lion and then stay there. And, you know, really in most ways, uh, like I have it with me today, it works, it works fine with Lion on it. But um but the other fun thing was, uh, you know, since it's kind of like a project computer to do some stuff, I really never worked with um, with Unix the way that I need to, or, well, really with Linux the way that I need to. And so I was trying to think, um, well, what if I do like a dual boot where I get everything working with uh, Mac OS X uh, Lion, and then I install some software to do a dual boot, and then I set up uh, a distribution of Linux Mint which is like a Linux distro. There's like uh, Ubuntu. That's a really big kind of consumer popular one. There's this other one, uh, Linux Mint, and I installed that with the program. Is the file manager, program manager, window manager? It's Cinnamon, right? I think that's, there's a few There's a few different ones. There's like Debian, there's Cinnamon. Maybe, I'm all twisted. I think Debian's like a distro. I don't know anything about open source or Linux. 
it's way above me in most ways really but uh but yeah kind of for fun and, and to be uh to be up to a fun little project I, yeah i installed uh linux mint on this uh old laptop and it really screams through it you know it runs a lot like windows 7 or something like that it seems like pretty comparable in that way and it's, you know it's all free and um it's kind of cool i was uh, i was messing around with the unix terminal in linux in linux mint and uh, it's kind of interesting like uh, seeing some of the differences between like the unix terminal work that you can do in linux versus like what you can do on the mac and i was kind of noticing like the package installer system like it was called like apt get where you can you can just type like apt dash get and then like space like you know the name of of some program in the, in the command line terminal and it's like a package installer where it'll go out on the internet it'll find the package where it is on a we'll get repository i don't know i don't know how any of this stuff works and then it, it pulls that down and installs a package on your computer all within the command line all from like typing a couple of things but it was just kind of a fun uh, sort of like power user thing that i was trying to get into i've also been trying to get into um using nano which is uh like it's it's a word processor built into terminal I know you guys are really excited about this one. A word processor built in the terminal? Say what, Billy? Uh, it's a word processor that was uh, built in the terminal way back, like uh, when Unix was a file manager operating system where you know you had like a big hard disk, you had to make a document, put it in a file, and then and then kind of search for or access that file later and you know, have it contain the records or contain the information. I think like Stephen King wrote a, a bunch of books in this word processor, you know, just on like a super old system. DOS computer, mainframe computer, something like that. Uh, whatever, you know, would have run Unix, a Unix operating system, just a command line screen back in the 80s or whatever it was when you had a personal computer finally. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it's like a full screen app. It's got a black screen or, you know, black background. And it's just like the notes app basically, but you, you do everything on the keyboard and you kind of save files out. But I've been trying to do that as like a, a, a distraction removal system, you know? You kind of, you pop into, you pop into Unix you do some of your stuff on the keyboard, on the command line. There's no visuals or like stuff that's popping up or getting in your way. And uh, I don't know. It's just kind of been an interesting way to do a little bit of work stuff. But uh, but I'm trying to like go through and I journal a little bit. Like I write down like handwritten stuff. I write down a few things about uh, like a photo or, or something that I'm working on or, or one of these little ideas I'm trying to sort and draft. And um, I'll like write it out there a little bit. But then like while I'm at work, I'll, um, I'll throw open, you know, the laptop I'll, and I'll, I'll pop into Nano. And then I'll like end up writing out the text document. Like I'll draft it a little bit on the paper and then I'll write it out. I'll type it up in nano and then I get the, the text document, you know, on the operating system and I can put that or throw it out to wherever I want to. It's probably silly and unnecessary, but it's been kind of a fun, uh, a fun way to make use of Unix for, uh, for something for a few days. So I don't know, kind of cool stuff, but, uh, yeah, messing around with some Unix, some Linux, some old MacBooks. Yeehaw. Pretty fun and uh, make new Lightroom catalogs. So that and so much more in 2018. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. You can check out more of my stuff at Billy Newman on Instagram, or you can see this podcast, a few other podcasts, and other photos at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye.